Jesus, your name is beautiful. Your name is wonderful. Your name is above every other name. And we worship you this morning. That you came to earth, lived a sinless life. That there were men who killed you, but in three days you rose again and are alive today. And you hear our songs, you hear our prayers, and you answer them. God, you are awesome. We sing hallelujah, for the Lamb has overcome today and forevermore. Father, soften our hearts now as we open your word. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word, and we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. We're glad that you chose to worship with us on this Easter Sunday morning. I am thankful this morning that my, although I had some hope, that my hope in eternal life and my hope and purpose in life uh, is not found in my NCAA bracket. <laughs> Can I get an amen? amen. I uh, mourned the loss last night of my beloved Kansas Jayhawks. And uh, so if you are familiar with what happened last night, would you say a prayer for me? But guess what? My hope is not in the Jayhawks. My hope's in Jesus. And if you came in this morning, I want you to know the reason we're here today is to celebrate Jesus. Amen. To celebrate the fact that He is alive. And because He is alive, it changes everything. And we've been walking through this series called The Promise. You see the the title screen here, um, I want to encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 25. If you have your bulletin, I encourage you to get that out, take some notes. And if you have not been on the journey with us the last few weeks, we have been walking through the Old, Test Old Testament tabernacle. And it has been leading up to this day, to this moment, the Resurrection Sunday. And of course, we are here on Easter Sunday to celebrate the Resurrection. But the truth is, we come here every Sunday morning, and people gather all over the world every Sunday morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I'm thankful you're here today, and I would encourage you to come back next week. And we're going to do the same thing. We're going to have a party every Sunday, and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So we've been walking through the Old Testament tabernacle and showing that really God came and God uh, asked Moses to create or to build the tabernacle so that he could dwell among his people. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God created us. God created mankind in his image, and he created us for fellowship. He created to have a relationship with us. And because he is holy, he cannot be in the presence of sin. And, and sin cannot be in his presence. And so he created man perfect before God, in relationship with God. Adam and Eve sinned, and because of their sin, the relationship that they had with God was broken. And because of the broken relationship... God could no longer dwell among his people. Remember, he put Adam and Eve out of the garden. You're going to see a picture of that today. Is that when, they, when, when they put Adam and Eve out of the garden, he guarded the garden entrance with two angels. And the two angels would put their wings over, and it was a sign of you can no longer enter the, the presence of God because of your sin. 
And so God asked Moses to build a tabernacle, and, and we've been walking through the tabernacle furnishings, and, and we're going to show you just a diagram real quick this morning, maybe to kind of catch you up of where we've been the last six weeks. And uh, the outer courtyard here, we, we learned that, that Jesus was a fulfillment of all these Old Testament furnishings in the tabernacle. The first one being the entrance gate. So you're going to see here as we're looking on the screen, from right to left, you would enter in the entrance gate, and that entrance gate represented Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And remember, this, this tabernacle is a way for the people to dwell with God, for God to dwell with his people, to be back in relationship with him. And so Jesus would, we would enter to the gate, we would enter into this relationship through Jesus. He is the gate. Then you would enter and see the altar of sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice. Hebrews says he was the once for all sacrifice. Remember when, when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus was that once for all sacrifice that the Old Testament, uh, when they every, every day would, would sacrifice twice a day on the altar of sacrifice, it was a representation, it was a picture of the once for all sacrifice that would come and take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ, he would restore the relationship that was broken that we can now have fellowship with God, our creator. The next would be the labor, and the labor, the, the priest would wash his hands and his feet and would represent that he is now available or sanctified to serve. And Jesus said, I am the, the water that cleanses you. I am the word. The, the scripture says the word. We are washed and cleansed by the word of God. And in John chapter 1, we see that Jesus is the word. He became flesh, and he dwelt among us. Then they would enter into, as you can see, three segments here on the screen. There's the outer courtyard, there's the holy place, there's the holy of holies. And so the priests were the only ones allowed to go into the holy place. And then the next segment, the holy of holies, only the high priest on one day of the year, on the day of atonement, could enter into the holy of holies. And so as we walk into the, the holy place, we would see the table of showbread. And Jesus said, I and the bread of life. And again, it's just pointing to Jesus who would come and take away the sins of the world. The, the, the lampstand of the menorah there, Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. The next, the altar of incense, representing the prayers of the people that would go up to God. And right now, Jesus, so you understand Jesus came and he died to restore your relationship with, with, that was broken with God because of our sin. Jesus, on the third day, what we celebrate today, he came back to life. And scripture teaches us that where he's at right now, he's, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And guess what he's doing for you right now? He's praying for you. He's making intercession. And separating the holy place and the holy of holies was the temple veil. And the temple veil was like 60 feet by 30 feet, four inches thick, and we learned uh, last week as we talked about Jesus and the sacrifice that, remember when Jesus said it was finished, the temple veil was worn in, uh, torn in two from top to bottom, that God removed the barrier. So this was a barrier between God and his people, and only if you went through the proper stages, you had to go to the altar of sacrifice, the laver, the table of showbread, the menorah, the altar uh, of incense, and only the high priest on one day a year could enter into the holy of holies and go and present the sins of the people before a holy, righteous God. And because Jesus came, because he was the once-for-all sacrifice, 
the barrier between God and man was broken. And we, we have access to God, our creator. And so when the, when the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies, he would be presented with the Ark of the Covenant. We have a, a picture of the replica of the, the Ark of the Covenant. This Ark of the Covenant uh, contained several things. So if you have your bulletin, you could look on here. These three things. So number one, we're going to look at the Ark of the Covenant this morning. Let me let you fill in the blanks because I know some of you are going to really be angry if we don't fill these in. Also, if, you, if maybe you didn't grab a bulletin on your way in this morning, or maybe you have your phone, you didn't bring a Bible, uh, you can go on the YouVersion Bible app, download it for free, and then under the events, you can look up Hallmark, and the same thing that's in your bulletin will be also there digitally provided for you. Number one, the ark contained the presence of God. The ark contained the presence of God. And so in this ark, the, the, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and he would be in the presence of God. He would go before God and he would, as he walked in on the one day of atonement, the sacrifice that was made, he would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant, covering the sins of the people. Look with me in Exodus chapter 25, verse number 10. Exodus 25, verse number 10 says, and they shall make an ark of an acacia wood, two and a half cubits in its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it. It shall make, out of, shall make on it a molding of gold all around. Now look at verse number 16. You shall put in the ark the testimony which I gave you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and, two, and cubits its height and width. Verse number 18, you shall make two cherubim of gold and hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Interesting picture of the Ark of the Covenant is also a, pic a picture of the Garden of Eden. Remember when, when God put Adam and Eve because of their sin, the two angels there that would guard the presence of God. And here we see the same picture. Verse number 20. Oh, excuse me, verse number 19, make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end, and you shall make the cherub at two ends of it, one piece with the mercy seats. So let's show you a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. This is a replica, right? So it's, again, it's gold. It's a box with what we've just described as a mercy seat sitting on top of it. The mercy seat contained these two angels. And we'll read in a moment here that um, when, when I was growing up, and of course I grew up in church, I just kind of had this picture that, that, that this box contained the presence of God, okay? And that's not really what we're going to read in Scripture, that the presence of God hovered over the angels. And in your bulletin, there's three things that shows that are, that are part or that are in the Ark of the Covenant. Three things that God, and you can read it in Scripture, we're going to take time to read it this morning, but three things that God told Moses to put in the Ark. The first is the Ten Commandments. The second is Aaron's staff. And then the third was a container of manna, God's provision. So again, it, you can see here in your bulletin, it's God's standard, God's authority, God's provision. But what's interesting is that not only do we see that it's God's standard, God's authority, and God's provision, but these, th these three things that were placed in the ark, in this box, that sat under the very presence of God, represented really the three biggest sins of the nation of Israel. They didn't live up to the standard of God's commandments, did they? Remember when Moses came down from the mountain 
and had the, the, the Ten Commandments. And what were the people doing? They were already breaking the first commandment. That shall have no other gods before me, right? That shall, uh, and they're, they're, they have built a golden image, and they are worshiping this golden image. And so this Ten Commandments is not only a reminder of the law of God, but it's also a reminder of one of the biggest sins that the nation of Israel committed. The second one there, Aaron's staff, they, they were, um, anybody ever had just a little bit of a rebellious spirit in you? Okay, your laughter says yes. Any of you raised a child with a little bit of rebellious spirit in them? Oh, you raise your hand for that one. I see that. My parents, I think, put both their hands up. And they, re they rebelled against the spiritual authority of Aaron. And this bud of Aaron, this, this rod of Aaron that budded was a representation. We won't go through the whole story, but that God was saying, this is your spiritual authority. And again, it was a representation. It was a reminder to them of God's spiritual authority over them, but also a reminder to them that they tried to buck the spiritual authority of God. They had sinned. God's provision, the manna. Remember, God provided manna for them in the, in the, in the wilderness. And they loved every day of it, right? And they griped and they complained. Another day of manna. And again, it was a reminder of God's provision, and it was also a reminder of their sin. So I wonder why in the box, this Ark of the Covenant, the three biggest sins of the nation of Israel would sit under the very presence of God. And yet this Old Testament tabernacle reminds us that, that we have to go through all these things in the Old Testament in order to one person, one day of the year, from one tribe, to enter into the presence of God. And yet the, the very sin of the nation of Israel is placed under the very presence of God. And what was between God and his presence and the sin of the people? Well, on the day of atonement, the high priest would go in and he sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. And God's presence would see the, the sin of the people. No longer would he see the sin of the people, but he would see what? The atonement, the blood. The blood covered the sin. So in every, every element of the Old Testament tabernacle, we see a picture of Jesus Christ. Let's skip to number two. The ark contained the presence of God. Number two, the tomb unleashed the presence of God. Friday night, we showed up for church and we... Uh, tried something new, a Good Friday service, and, and people do it all the time, and I've been a part of Good Friday service before, but never quite like what we did Friday, and we asked people, we asked people to come Friday and, and to uh, approach this service as it's a memorial service, and, and to come in quietly, and, and it was a very somber service, and everything about the service was pointing us to the cross, and and to the death and to the payment and we understand that that not only did God die for you but God died because of you not only did God die be for me and for my sins he died because of me and because of my sins and, and the truth of that is is heavy 
It's easy. I want to be completely honest with you this morning. It's easy for me to say God died because you guys are bad. And it's probably easy for you to say he died because I'm bad. Can I get an amen? You guys are so encouraging. But it's, it's true, isn't it? When I wrestle and when I let myself understand the, the gravity that it is my sin that placed him on that cross. And when we left Friday night, the last thing that was on the screen was the description of Scripture that says they rolled the tomb, the, the stone in front of the tomb. And I don't know about you, but I kind of walked out of here with just a sadness, a heaviness. Why did Jesus die? Jesus died because God is just and because God is love. And so, in the garden again, God told Adam and Eve, don't sin, don't eat of this fruit, and if you do, you shall surely what? Die. So that's the punishment, that's the payment of sin, death. And because God is just, if they disobeyed, guess what he had to do? That's why when I was, when my kids were younger, I was very careful to set punishments in advance. Because if I said something, you do this, this is going to happen, a good parent does what? What they said they were going to do. I would more, more times than not, when I was in my right thinking, say, don't do it or you will be punished. And, we'll, you know, we can figure out what the punishment is later. But you, know, you set this high standard, and then they do it because they're rebellious, just like you were. Now you have to live up to the punishment, right? Anybody ever spit something out of your mouth? You're going to be grounded for ten years. No more Xbox, no more, you know, whatever it is now. No more iPad. And you know there's more punishment for you than them in that. Right? You ever, you ever laid out a punishment that you wish you hadn't have said? God never made that mistake. But, but because he said this is the punishment, when Adam and Eve sinned, because he's just, Guess what he had to do? Keep his word. But, but not only is God just, God is love. And because God is love, he sent his son to take your payment for your sins. Has anybody ever taken the payment of your sins before? My brother has taken my payment of my sins before, not willingly, but because I lied. Not once did he ever say, Mom, Dad, pick me. I'll take John's punishment. Not once did I ever say, pick me, I'll, I'll take Michael's punishment. God loved you so much. Jesus said, pick me. I'll take your punishment. Does that not just blow you away? But, but it wasn't enough that he was willing to die. Not only did he die, 
But on the third day, he did what? He came back to life. And it changes everything. It changes how we approach God. The, the temple veil was broke, and we, have, we now have access. And so what was contained, the very presence of God, and all the rituals and all the rules in order to get into the very presence of God, and you had a mediator that would, would talk to God for you. Now Jesus came, and he was a once-for-all sacrifice. And when he came out of the tomb, it unleashed the presence of God. And it is available for everyone in the room today. Can you say amen to that? That everyone in the room, no matter how bad you are or no matter how good you think you are, God died for you, and because of his death and because of his resurrection, you can have eternal life. You can have forgiveness of sins. You can have a relationship with God, your creator. It unleashed the very presence of God. Turn me to John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, we're going to meet a lady. Her name is Mary, and there's several Marys in the Bible, and this Mary is not the mother of Jesus. This Mary is not the sister of Lazarus and Martha. It's not the mother of James and John. This is Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene met Christ. Mary Magdalene was possessed by demons. Seven demons. She placed her faith in Jesus. And Jesus redeemed her. He restored her. He healed her. And because he restored and redeemed and healed her, she never got over it. Do you remember, if you're in here this morning and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, do you remember the day you gave your life to Christ? Do you remember that feeling when it just overwhelmed you that, that God, when you just realized God sent his son to die for me to pay the penalty of my sin debts? And I remember I was, I was 17 years old. And I've never gotten over what Christ did in my life. And Mary never did either. The first few verses of John chapter 20, Mary goes early to the tomb. She's going to mourn. The custom of that day was the women would go for seven days and they would mourn at the tomb. And she went and Jesus wasn't there. She went back and told Peter and John and Peter and John raced there and saw they wasn't there and they left and and Mary stayed. That's where we pick up in verse number 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and she wept. She stooped down and looked into the tomb. Look at this picture. She saw two angels in the white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they, told, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Can you imagine the agony that she is going through? They watched him crucify the man who restored her life. They placed him in the tomb. She goes just to mourn for him. The angels are there. It kind of makes me question most of the time in Scripture when someone sees angels, the first thing the angel says, fear not, right? For whatever reason, Mary wasn't afraid. I, I don't know if it was the agony, I don't know if it was the pain, but she wasn't afraid, and she just responded to the angels. Well, well I'm weeping because they've taken 
the body of Jesus. Do you know where he is? If, if you tell me where he is, I'm going to go get him. I'm going to take him and bury him properly. And what, what do they say? Verse 14. Excuse me, let's look at verse 13 again. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14. Now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But, but look at the next phrase. She saw Jesus stand there, but did not know it was Jesus. And I wish we understood, I wish Scripture told us why she did not recognize Jesus. But it doesn't tell us that. I don't know if she's overcome with such emotion and agony and pain. She can't fathom the fact that this is the one that she's looking for. Because not, now he's not dead. He is what? He's alive. And she doesn't see it. She doesn't realize. And she answers. Look at verse 13. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be a gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. She sees Jesus, and she doesn't recognize him. He speaks to her. She still doesn't recognize him. But look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. When he spoke her name, Mary, what does she do? She turned and said to him, Rabbi, which is to say teacher. At the moment that Mary heard Jesus speak her name, she immediately knew. He's alive. I would ask you this morning, have you heard Jesus speak your name? What in, what in here this morning is keeping you from seeing Jesus? He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That all should have eternal life. And, and I'm here to tell you this morning, the reason that you're here, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, it's because Jesus is calling your name. Jesus wants you to see him. He wants to see him through your pain or through your struggles or whatever it is that you're struggling or facing today. Jesus is saying, listen, I am alive and I have overcome. I can heal you. I can forgive you. I can restore you. What is keeping you from hearing the name of Jesus? See, the resurrection changes everything. All over the world today, people are going to celebrate. Many have already celebrated. But you know what separates Christianity from all other religions? Is the one that we worship is alive. And the one that we worship who has the power over death and hell and the grave, he tells us how we can have a relationship with him. The, the Old Testament tabernacle was a picture of how we can come to God through Christ. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and because of our sin we cannot enter into the presence of God. Romans also tells us that the wages of our sin is what? Death. It's the same punishment for Adam and Eve. It's the same punishment for me and you. And all of us have sinned and all of us deserve death. 
Romans 6.23, the rest of that verse is, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus died for your sins. He came back to life. And if he did it for himself, he can do it for you. He is alive. Romans 10 then also tells us, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is alive, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is alive, we will be what? Saved. Redeemed. Restored. Forgiven. Brought back into relationship with God. You can go all over the world and you can see the places, the burial places, or the said burial places of other founders of religions. You can go to India and see where supposedly they scattered the ashes of Buddha. And people will go and they will worship Buddha. And everyone would say that he is what? He's, he's dead. You can go to China and see where they buried Confucius. And everyone would agree that he is dead. You can go to Saudi Arabia you can see where they buried Muhammad. And everyone will agree he's dead. You can go to Illinois. I'm not sure why you'd go to Illinois, but you can go to Illinois. <laughs> you can see Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. And everyone will agree he's dead. You can go to Pennsylvania. You can see the tomb of Charles Russell. And everyone would agree that he is dead. You can go to Israel. You can go to the place where they say they buried Jesus. And all who believe would say he is alive. Isn't that amazing? That the God we worship, because he is just, not only did he expect and demand a payment but he provided the payment and he had the power to bring Christ back to life on your bulletin this morning there's this quote off to the side there by Robbie Gallaty it says the only way we can have full assurance to know that when we die that our body will be raised from the dead is to put our faith and trust in a person who's already done it you see what that says, that God, through Jesus, proved that he had power over death, hell, and the grave. And he is telling us, because I did it, I can do it for you. And it changes, it changes everything. Uh, yesterday, I was, had a, a vivid reminder that I'm getting old. I'm not sure why you're laughing at me, but... Half of you in the room think I'm young, and the other half think I'm old. And we won't take a vote. But we, we celebrated yesterday my, my youngest uh, child's 18th birthday. And I thought, I cannot be old enough that my youngest child is 18. Anybody ever felt that pain before? It seems like it was yesterday. I mean, I remember it. We, 
I, I was a bad dad, I'll be, be, be honest with you. That, the day that, that our daughter Blair was born, we had a, a, a huge youth activity in the gym out here. There was, uh, you know, we were expecting almost a thousand people, I think, and we had a guest come in that was a former Jets football player, and, and I'm like, this is a terrible day for you to be born, Blair, and uh, <laughs> I, I called Ryan Whitley and I, that early that morning, I said, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it, good luck. And he, I think he cussed at me a few times, but he hung up. But it reminded me of a verse of scripture. James says, life is a vapor. It's here. And then it what? It's gone. It vanishes. They, they tell us that at six weeks in the womb, you hear the heartbeat. We don't have to do anything. God did it for you, didn't he? You're born, your heart just keeps beating. Day after day, moment after moment, second after second. It makes you cry sometimes, <laughs> thinking about it. It upsets you, right? You go to kindergarten, you didn't have to tell your heart to beat, did you? You learn your ABCs, your one, two, threes. You go to middle school and everything changes, right? But what, your heart, day after day, moment after moment, second after second, just keeps beating. Somehow, you finish high school. Some of you, it was a miracle. You go to college, you look across the cafeteria, you see that special person. You're really excited. But, but day after day, moment after moment, just keeps beating, doesn't it? You get married, you have kids. 18 years goes by in a second. Your heart just keeps beating. Kids get married. You have grandkids. You wish you'd have them first. <laughs> you retire. Build a lake house. Life is good. Your heart just keeps beating moment after moment, day after day, second after second. Buy the RV. You're going to travel and see the sights. Got to call 911. And it's over. You're going to stand before God. He's going to say, Did you hear my name when I called you? And when I stand before God, I'm going to say, Yeah, I was 17 years old. I was at Brownwood Youth Camp at 2 o'clock in the morning, 1991. For my whole life, I couldn't hear you. I was ignoring you. And finally, I heard him say, John, for, for some of you today, 
when you stand before God and he says, did you hear my name? I hope you will answer it. April 1st, 2018, Hallmark Baptist Church, I finally heard you. And I said, yes. Would you close your eyes for a moment this morning? I don't want you to check out. I don't want you to pay attention. I know we have a tendency to check out. This morning, though, this is the most important part of this service right now. It's the most important thing for you to hear that, and to understand that you may not know why you showed up this morning. And maybe God in the last 45 minutes has told you the reason you're here is because I've been trying to call your name and I want to give you eternal life. I sent my son, Jesus, to die in your place so that you could have forgiveness of sins, so that you could have a restored relationship with you and quit not hearing my name. I'm telling you, I'm calling your name right now, and will you surrender? Will you give your life to Jesus Christ? And I want to ask this morning, we are not going to be long, but I want to ask you in the quietness of the hour, with our, our heads bowed, our eyes closed, this morning, if God has revealed to you, you've heard his name. You've heard him call your name, and, and this morning you want to surrender your life to him. I'm going to ask you right now in the quietness of this hour, would you just look up at me and make eye contact with me for a moment? It's going to take a minute. Keep your head up. Look at me. Make eye contact with me. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. Just look at me right now. I'm going to go section by section. I'm looking to my left. I have several of you. Anyone else? Just make eye contact with me. Thank you. can put your heads down. I'm going to go to the stadium to my left, your right. If that's you, just, just look at me for a moment. Make eye contact with me for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Here in the center, the center right, my left, if that's you this morning, would you just look at me and make eye contact with me this morning right now? Tell me right now by looking at me. Thank you that you're hearing Jesus call your name. Some of you I'm going to spot, and then the truth is some of you I'm going to miss, but can I tell you right now, it doesn't matter where I, whether I see you. God sees you. Any, anybody else here, the center section to my right, your left, anyone just make eye, thank you. Just look at me and say, I'm hearing Jesus call my name right now, and I've been ignoring it. Maybe I've never heard it, but I, but I want to give my life to Jesus right now. Anybody else this morning in this section? A couple of you guys right back there. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. In the stadium back there in the back, anyone look at me? I'm doing my best to spot you back there. I, I see a couple in the top right there. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. The section right here my, to, to my far right, your left. Anyone that want to look at me? Thank you. What I want you to do this morning is I want you to talk to God about it. It's basically you saying, God, I hear you speaking my name. And I want to place my faith in you for, for my forgiveness of sins. And, and I want to restore the relationship with God, my creator. So I'm going to pray a prayer this morning that's going to lead you in how to give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you want to repeat after me, that's great. If you want to, to make it your version, that's even better. 
but it's you just surrendering, God, I hear you, I hear you calling my name and I'm giving my life to you. If you want to do that this morning, I'm going to encourage you just to, to pray with me right where you're at. God, I know I'm a sinner. God, today I clearly hear you calling my name. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die in my place. Would you forgive me? Would you save me? I'm going to ask quickly this morning, if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you just put your hand up for a moment? It's much easier for me to see that, but just put your hand up all over the audience, wherever you're seated. If you prayed that prayer and you, you, you gave your life to Christ, would you just put your hand up this morning? Please put it up right now. Just put it up. Leave it up. Thank you. Just keep it up for a moment. I'm looking. I count two. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. Three. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. Four. I'm sorry. Leave it up for just another moment. I'm trying to make sure I catch everyone. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. you raised your hand this morning, or even if you didn't raise your hand and you gave your life to Christ, I'm going to give you a next step that I think would be important for you. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a final song of worship that I would encourage you this morning when we stand and begin to sing. There's going to be people up here at the front that are going to be facing you, and they would love to pray with you. So if you gave your life to Jesus today, I'm going to ask you when we stand to come forward and just shake one of the hands of the people up here. There's going to be ladies, there's going to be men up here. Let them know the decision you made today. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for grace. We thank you, Lord. I, I personally, Lord, thank you that at the age of 17, Lord, you called my name and, and finally I gave in. I gave my life to you. God, I pray for those in here this morning that, that have made that decision, that you would give them the courage and the strength here in a moment when we stand to walk forward, to talk to someone. Lord, if there's somebody in here this morning that did not make that decision, but Lord, you're still, you're still calling their name, that maybe this morning they would also walk down here and talk to somebody about that. Lord, we're grateful to be here. Thankful for Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. Ben's going to lead us in worship, but I want to ask you to stand this morning. And as you stand, if you made a decision, come right now. Just come right now. The, 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 the ladies and gentlemen are already here. They're here to greet you. But let's come. Let's, let's seek God. Maybe this morning God spoke to me about something completely different. Then just come pray at the altar today. Let's seek Him today, Ben.